Welcome back to XR at Work. I'm Scott. And I'm Dane. That's us, man. <laughs> Dane, it's uh it's a big episode today, man. It's a big discussion. Brian, we're gonna talk about you like you're not here. So, Dane, we've got uh uh we've got a, a return guest today, someone who's in high demand, and and we had a great uh podcast episode six months ago with with you, Brian, and we are fortunate to have you back. A lot of people looking forward to seeing you back on the podcast. So uh, welcome back, buddy. Yeah, thank you. It was a lot of, a lot of fun. I really enjoyed doing that. Yeah. So I'm um, super excited about this for two reasons. One is because the topic today is near and dear to my heart. Secondly, I just had a big iced coffee. So <laughs> it is, uh, this is going to be, this may be our first two hour podcast episode. We'll see how it goes. Um, I'm going to cut us off if we get this. Oh, okay. You, you can do the, all yeah, right. So, uh, so. Brian, welcome back. Um, we'll um, um, get going here on, on on what we want to talk about today. So, Brian, you and I have talked recently uh, and a couple of times about this notion of technology for technology's sake is proving to be frustrating for our frontline. It satisfies really only those that want to see cool toys put in place. You know, it. Um, uh, it doesn't get adopted, you know, a lot of, uh, of XR implementations, and I've, I've done them as well. I don't know about you guys, but I've put devices in for maybe the wrong reasons sometimes. But, you know, um, my big awareness kind of lately has been that, um, uh, you know, that we've really got to start uh, conversations with our factories and warehouses and shipyards and, and refineries, whatever the case may be, with with uh, the why. What is it, you know, why are we trying to... Uh, to, to put technology in place, kind of what is it that we're, we need to, to focus on? And I had this big, Dane last, but I had this big um, uh, light bulb moment uh, a few weeks ago. I was get out of my truck. I was going on a long run. I got my AirPods on. I'm listening to this new podcast, and it's called Augmented. And I'm like, well, that sounds like me, right? And so <laughs> I get in this podcast. I get two miles out on my run. I'm so into this podcast and the, 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 the speaker is talking about his book. I ran back to the truck and ordered the book um, there in my truck on my phone. And so <laughs> we're going to hawk someone else's stuff today a little bit here. But there's this book. This is probably going to show up reversed on camera, but it's called Augmented Lean. And so Augmented Lean is by this guy, um, Trond Arn Undheim. Uh, he's a PhD. And then uh, his colleague, Natan Linder. And so... The, the book and the podcast, right? We're going to put the podcast here um, on the screen as well. Um, big fan of this. I mean, no big uh, epiphany for you, Brian, or you, Dane. You guys are smart guys. But for a simple country dude like me, I was like, God, this is, where's this stuff been? So I really got into this. The whole notion here, right? And I want to hear your, your thoughts on this is that, um, Deskless workers and frontline workers need technology that augments what they're doing, that helps them, not distracts them, and removes them from the flow of what they're trying to accomplish on the factory floor. And so what's that been like? Uh, how has this been a part of, of how you roll day to day uh, in your job? Um, so, so you bring a really good point. Um, you know, a lot of times... So one of the it's it's a catch twenty two. One of the really 
great things about XR technology is it's very sexy. It's very intriguing. You know, we're, we're visual animals. And so it's, it, it really draws us in and it's very interesting to us. It's also the bad part of that because you can end up doing, you know, just implementing technology for its own sake. And so yeah. we, I'm often put in this really interesting and my team as well in this really interesting juxtapose where we're both the purveyors of and protectors from exactly the same technologies. And it's for that very reason. Like, you know, it's, it's really easy for people to get really excited about it. And you were talking a little bit about how, you know, you've made mistakes. I have, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's what experience is. You know, it's, it's not failure. It's uh, failure is the inability or, you know, in, in the unwillingness to get back up, not that you fell down. Um, experience is what you get when you didn't get what you wanted. And I've, <laughs> I've got buckets of that. So, um, but I think there's kind of this natural maturation process that everybody has to kind of go through where at first, you, you know, you see the technology and you're wowed by it. Oh, it's, it's so amazing and all this kind of stuff. And then over time, you begin to kind of understand that more is, is often just more like, you know, in fact, ideally, when you go into do these kind of things, if you really love your end users, you want to give them less. Um, a lot of times, you know, we think that everything's about more. It's about more features and functions and that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, end users want less. They want less frustration, less hassle. You know, they, they're trying to get something done. And so a lot of times um, as technologists, we end up with, you know, the, again, that you've heard me talk about the, the drill and the hole type thing where we want to tell you about how, how wonderful the drill is and nobody really cares about the drill. They wanted a hole. And so the, the, the way that you get that hole is by a process, not necessarily the technology. And so I, I love that you brought the book up, uh, Augmented Lean, and I haven't had a chance to look at that yet. I appreciate you bringing that up to me. But um, one of my favorite books from a business perspective is that, you know, Simon Sinek, Start With Why. And, and the reason why that's such a crucial business book, possibly the, the best one I, I may have ever read, and I've read quite a few, um, because he crystallizes in there many things that I've held true my entire career. And, and so in there, he posits you need to really understand, you know, great, great leaders like great companies have one thing in common. And it's that they have this really laser sharp focus on what their mission is. They understand what their why is. You know, why am I here? Why am I doing this thing? You know, what, what am I trying to accomplish? What's the soul of the intention, if you will? And then Simon Sinek says it very, um, very well when he talks about the golden circles, you know, and he has the center mm -hmm. is why. And then around that is the how. Once you understand your why, then you go to how am I going to accomplish this? And then the one out, outside of that is the what. So, you know, what tools and technologies, what, how does that manifest itself kind of a thing? And he talks about how, you know, it's interesting that um, these great companies maintain that focus on their why, where m most of the other companies that kind of come and go lose that focus and they begin to be focused on, on the what, because that's how they monetize their, their business. And so, for example, with Boeing, you know, and I've asked this before, I kind of enjoy doing this when I speak at conferences. I'll ask people, so what's Boeing? You know, and, the, and most people say, oh, it's an airplane company. No, Boeing's not just an airplane company. Now, we build airplanes, fair enough. But Boeing is a connection company, in my opinion. We help people and things to coalesce in a time and place. How do we do that? Well, through, you know, physics and all the different theories and stuff, aer aeronautical, you know, physics or um, theories that help us to accomplish that. And then that would be our how. And then the what would be the actual airplanes that we sell. So, um Boeing's not in the in the business of building airplanes just because they're they're awesome. I love airplanes, you know, but that's not why we build them. We build them because we're trying to help our customers to achieve some objective. And I think if you can keep that focus on what that objective is, the cool thing about that is, is the way that we accomplish that is through some kind of a process. 
and processes are far more stable than technologies. Te- you know, technology by definition is going to churn, and 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 it's, it's speeding up. Actually, it's not just that it's going to churn fast; it's that it's it, it's churning faster and faster, and, it, and it's exponentially so. Things are changing way faster by the day than you know five years ago. It's it's pretty yeah. crazy that the difference in information that we deal with. And so, if you understand that, then by going hard after the process, two things that happen that, that are really important, actually multiple, but um, a couple of things that are really important is, one is you decouple the technology from the process so that it can churn independently. And when the next better thing comes along, then you can decouple the old technology and plug in the new one fairly effortlessly if you have focused on the process. And and thereby, the second point is that you future-proof your, your solution. It's not tied, you know, specifically to a technology. It's tied to a business process, and business processes are, are a lot more robust. So, um, I think yeah. it's really important. Well, so, uh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. just a, a thought that comes up as you're talking to you from a business perspective is it also diversifies you in your portfolio, right? Like if if your sole goal is to build airplanes, well, then you know Boeing wouldn't have, wouldn't have also you know built spacecraft or you know any anything else that that helps achieve the kind of vision that you were talking about. So I think, I think, you know, it's, it's, you know, you can adapt to change faster, but it also allows you to expand outwards of, you know, just the, the tool or the, you know, the product that you make into, you know, diversified portfolio where you can, you know, serve that same purpose without, you know, only being in airplanes or something like that. That's exactly right. And, and, and I think that's one of the shifts that you're going to see, you know, we're, talking about the metaverse it's kind of all around us never it's a big buzzword thing um many of us <laughs> it's not news to you guys we've been doing this for a long time you know talk about the industrial metaverse and what is yeah. it and that kind of thing well you know that that connectivity and and that ability to connect people and things right we, we just talked about airplane that's what we do at boeing is we connect people and things well we can also do that through the metaverse that's the beautiful thing about that is because we haven't changed our scope we still understand what our mission statement is and you might have seen some stuff by Dr. Heislip, our, our uh, CTO, um, talking about Boeing and, and how we're building airplanes in the metaverse and stuff like that. That's an, absolutely true. In fact, I'm one of the guys that makes that statement correct. And, and you know, we have a, a very um, skilled and dedicated you know, team that, that is very good at these kind of things. And it's because we understand our mission. We know what the assignment is. <laughs> yeah, the meme, you know, I understand <laughs> It's real. That's really important if you, if you can understand that type of stuff. And so I get sometimes I get these questions, and it's amazing how um, in in conferences every now and then I'll get one of these folks, and they kind of try to corner you. And usually they, they try to make up for lack of knowledge with with volume. So you'll you might notice yeah. that's a, kind of a trademark. But um, they'll start asking me things like, or they'll they'll make a critique of Hollands, for example. They say, well, it's not 4K, and it's like, well, what does that have to do with the with anything I, who, who cares like if, if you knew what you were talking about it's such a ridiculous yeah. statement to make like in the context of what so neither is a three ring binder 4k yeah <laughs> so, yeah gotcha yeah, yeah it's crazy how people um <laughs> and, and it's more about you know in those cases it's usually somebody's yeah. trying to, to sound yeah. sharper than they are on that stuff but it's pretty obvious to those of us that that actually do this stuff because we know that that's not really material you know Hey, but, but I want to ask you, Brian, you were talking about this. I think it's important when you think about the audience that we have, uh, our friends and colleagues in XR that hopefully are are listening to or watching this podcast. You know, you talked about I, you talked about this notion of both being a purveyor and a protector of the, the same technology. Mm-hmm. New people, I know like myself, when I started out in XR, 
um, I was much more a, a, a purveyor than a protector. And I just, man, you want me to run up to the middle of nowhere in northern Arkansas and bring you a headset here? I'll, hang on. I'm getting on a plane. <laughs> see, you, see, you, see you tomorrow. Um, I mean, so what would you say to, to new folks or newer folks that are starting to find that they're in this situation where it's that it's it's very appealing and it's very tempting to just run out with cool toys and gadgets and VR goggles and whatever, you know, our customers call them and go out and put them in place preemptively or, you know, for the wrong reason. I mean, how do, how do you fight that? How, how do you how do you get back to the how do you start with the why and, and not get so caught up in the devices? Well, so when I go and I'm going to do a technology implementation, it, it's it's fun. I'm, I'm a little, I think it's awesome that book about augmented lean. I I need to do something very. So I don't know the content of it. So, but um, that's that's kind of my secret sauce. If I had one, is our, our team goes hard after the process. Like we, yeah, I'm a big fan. I don't develop things for people or or do things to them. I do things with them, and it's a really really important um, point that that you do that because. Well, a couple of things. One, you know, I've got a, a presentation I do sometime. Maybe we'll talk about it at some point, but it's about uh, the myths of requirements gathering. It's called, it's about requirements, yeah. not desirements. And, yeah, you know, there's this layperson's kind of sense that the way that you gather requirements is it's really simple. You go out and you ask the smartest person, the best person who can do this thing, you know, what it is they do? And then you write that down dutifully. And then, you know, you go, you give them what they ask for and everybody's happy. And, you know, birds fly and rainbows. Doesn't work like that. In fact, I would go so far as to say um, the, the person who's best at it is almost the worst often at really telling you what they do. And the reason why is because, you know, the whole thing about us being creature of automation, we're really, really good at our core. We are comparison engines and we're creatures of automation. So think about the process. You know, when you learn how to, to drive a stick shift. It was it was tough at first. And, and it, it was a lot of different components. I've kind of discussed this before in the other uh, podcast, but, um, you know, over time, we just call it driving. And so we, we, it becomes less and less important because it, it's just part of the fabric of what we do. Well, it's the same kind of a thing. When you talk to a really extremely um, sharp expert on something, they've automated so many processes and chunked so many things together that unless you, and until you go and specifically interrogate what those processes are through a series of asking um, kind of dumb questions about it, you know, being kind of mind of a child and, and asking innocent questions because they're experts. I don't, I don't know what they know. And I have to be able to humble myself and go to them kind of hat in hand and on bended knee and say, look, I, I don't know what you know. So I need you to be patient with me. I'm going to ask a lot of them questions and answer as be the best you can. And so the, through this interrogation process or, or, you know, of them thinking through what their methods and techniques are, they also co-discover at the same time what it is that they do. Hmm. And, you know, an interesting thing is that um, our linguistic and procedural parts of our brain, the activation patterns are different. There, there's not actually like a location for those particular things we're finding, you know, more recently. But their their activation patterns are not the same. And so unless and until, again, that you dutifully and intentionally transfer that from kind of the operational side to the linguistic side, we really do not have the words to say what we do. And so you have to kind of go through this process. The beautiful thing about that is if, if you're willing to honor your your end user in that way and build that relationship, and ask them and, and be humble and, and ask questions and, and learn is they learn too. And it's a very bonding thing for the two of you to kind of co-learn, you know, this process as you go through it. I don't think requirements are either created or, or gathered. I think they're co-discovered. And mm -hmm. so if, if you will adhere yeah. to that, you know, and, and, and pay them that 
you know, honor them with that kind of a, a relationship-based approach. Two things. One is they also get a better understanding of what they do. Often they, they couldn't tell you, you know, if you just ask them because they've automated this stuff. So not only do you, you get a really good account of what that is and they think about it and it brings it to mind and they, they have some epiphany aha moments and stuff, but also um, you build that amazing trust relationship that will pervade any project, any single project that you're working on. It's one of my favorite things is, is um, if I do this the right way, I feel like uh, two things. One is, you know, I'm, I'm looking to create a better business process and then we'll enable that with technology. Mm-hmm. The second thing is I want to build that trust relationship and invest in, in this with my end users so that they'll come to me again. And they often do, they'll come back and they'll say, Hey, I got this other thing. And what do you think about this? Or I've been considering what you said or whatever. And so, um, that gets me repeat customers and I can help them to fix other problems that they have. And I become a confidant for them. I think, I think that's one of the only ways to, that you can kind of delight your know, customers with whatever it is that you're, you're giving, because like, you know, to your, your point, the, what they're asking for oftentimes is not what they're saying. It's, <laughs> it's you know, it's what they want it to do. And so, you know, when you ask very deep, kind of you know why 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 yeah. right you get to the kind of the crux of the actual problem and not what what you know a lot of times you know people we we try and solution ahead of time too yeah. right and the problem with solutioning ahead of time is that you get anchored on you know whatever the idea of that solution is you know, because because it's uh you know something that you came up with or or whatever and so um I think that's a, that's a big part of it too, is like, you know, when you do finally, if you have asked the right questions and then you do finally deliver that to the customer, well, it's delightful for them because it may not be the feature set that they asked for, but it, it does what they're wanting. That's what they needed. Yeah. 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 But isn't this the case where, the, uh, Brian, it is a case where they often, they don't, they don't know what they that's exactly right. need, right? Yeah. And so working closely, you can help them kind of co-discover what it is they need. They know what they and want. And, and, and think about it. I mean, I, you know, it's funny cause I, I rail about this stuff and yet I'm yeah. affected by, I'm human too. Like I'll, I'll go to get a new phone and what do I do? The nerd in me comes out and I'm looking at how many megapixels and what's the processing, you know, all this stuff. And it, it's, it's, it's bench racing. It's great bragging rights, you know, kind of stuff. But yeah. Do I really use that? I mean, I don't know. It's, it's hard. I would I would argue that they think they know what they want, and I and I don't mean that in like an area. Well, they know what they want. They don't know what they need. Yeah. I think that's the big difference. Well, okay, so that, fair enough. I was going to say, and not not in like an arrogant way of like, oh, I know what you need, and and you don't know what you need. I right. actually think that um, a, a lot of what our jobs are is to not know anything and to go in and just ask mm-hmm. a lot of questions because it's not, <laughs> you know. So like I, I think about that as being kind of a, a value to me too, because I see it in stuff that we work on where, uh, you know, I, I can't see the forest for the trees kind of thing. And then somebody comes in and asks a question and it's like, duh, <laughs> you know, why, why didn't I, why didn't I think about that? And it's, it's the same reason it's, you know, no, nobody's going to be, you know, uh, nobody's, nobody's skilled enough or, or smart enough or whatever that is. Nobody's as smart as all of us. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so like, I, I think I think that's actually a lot of, of value in it. And so I guess a piece of advice that would come with saying that would be if you're an XR practitioner and you don't know about chemical engineering or whatever, like it's not a reason to not do it. The right. you know, it's actually more of a reason to do it because you have the opportunity to really dig deep into a process and say, 
you know, I can, you know, I can use this person's expertise to get into what are the things that we actually really need. And I think that that's a, you know, so I guess what, I, you know, the, the short of that would be um, you do it anyway, because do it because you don't know, right. You'll learn something along the way. And the other person hopefully will also learn something. Along well, the way. well, nobody ever knows anything. I mean, you're not born knowing how to walk or dance or put a riff on a house. Like, you know, they're all just, it's just, Problems to solve. That's all it is. Yeah. And what is one it? of the things that oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go, go ahead. So something else that I think is really, really powerful about that approach because of, because of the honoring part of it. We're all humans, and at the end of the day, um, it, it it matters um, that we feel respected, that we feel like we're safe, and we can. You know, we we only bring the best of ourselves to bear on the projects that we work on when we're in a safe environment. And I can um, I can say the things that might seem stupid or, you know, whatever. I know that I'm not going to be judged by that and whatnot. And so one of the things I try to always remember, it's one of my favorite um, poets, um, Maya Angelou. And she has this really great quote, and it's that uh, people will forget what you say and they'll forget what you do, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. So if you can go in and you can honor your, your end user and help them to, to learn that and kind of understand what it is they're doing better than they thought they had, um, that they, than they thought they knew, then there's a real power in that. There's a real bonding component of that. And, and, it, and it's amazing, you know, how um, once you can get people to kind of open up and, and quit thinking about what they think they know and start having what I call the mind of a child, Lean, you know, talks about that quite a bit, you know, have a sense of wonder and, and, and be, ex, you know, exploring. Um, there, there's a, a really great exercise, and I, I use it sometimes in my um, – my leadership classes that I teach and whatnot, innovation classes for, for Boeing. And it's called the Marshmallow Challenge. Have you guys heard of it? Oh, yeah. It's pretty My awesome. My wife and I were just talking about this yesterday. Yeah. It's really a powerful thing. So yeah. um, it, given this is an actual study, um, forgive me for not being able to cite it appropriately, but anyway, they, they did some studies and they found that um, if you have a group of six-year-olds versus a group of, I think they use business students in this case, but it's not necessarily unique to them, although they find that engineering students tend to do a little better than business folks um, because their focus is a little bit, <laughs> a little bit different. But um, if, if you, if you, they do this marshmallow challenge that the, the, the six-year-olds generally will whoop the, uh, the very, you know, educated business people. And the reason why is because six-year-olds don't have any uh, image they're trying to upkeep. They don't care. Like they're, they're just going to experiment and try and, you know, and, and, and do things and, and see, um, experiment, you know, try see the, do the best they can. And, and it's all with this kind of sense of joy and whatnot where, um, folks, you know, in, in an industry, in a, um, oh, business type environment, they're worried about title and position and authority and all these other kind of garbage, Status, things. Yeah. nothing to do. With what well, we're trying to do. So, so let me ask a question though, but isn't that the antithesis of what we've been talking about, which is, you know, make sure that you, you know, like you're not just, you know, doing technology for technology's sake. Like you could say that's experimentation, right? And so is that the antithesis of kind of what we've said, which is, you know, do it for a purpose or are these kind of distinct, you know, things? I, I think there's a role for experimentation, I, but I think a lot of times in a business environment, it's really critical. We have to have a return on investment. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that too, again, you know, you heard me say that it's, it, um, that failure is not the act of falling down. It's the act of not getting back up and it experiences what you get when you get what you didn't want. And I think a lot of times we're allergic to that in a business environment because we're so intense and we're so about, Oh, what's the ROI? What's the bottom line? Blah, blah, blah. And so a lot of times I 
you know, I'll actually go in and I'll say, well, guess what? You know, we're going to start this new project. I can, what I can guarantee is something is not going to go right. It's not, it's not going to go to plan. Let's get over it right now because it is what it is. And the sooner we kind of come to terms with the fact that, you know, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Just learn from it. Don't do it again. You know, that, that's the, that's the power in this kind of stuff. And, um, I don't know anybody who's been successful at anything that hasn't, you know, air quote failed or, you know, hasn't had gotten experience that they perhaps didn't know they needed or wanted. Um, but that, I, I'm sure you'd agree. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong though with trying to fail less. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, nobody you know? goes into, into yeah. this, you know, intending to fail. Right. But, right. but I think, you know, I, I think that we need to get over that and, and get yeah. over ourselves and quit taking things. Work can be joyful. It, it doesn't have to be drudgery. It doesn't have to can be. Can it? Joyful. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it can be. I think you have to have the right kind of attitude though. And I think you have to set, you know, you have yeah. to, you have to also walk the talk. You have to, you know, exemplify this stuff. And yeah. instead of, you know, like beating yourself up when things don't go right, say, well, what, what's the lesson in this? There's some kind of a lesson. What do I, what can I learn from this and how can I turn this into a, a benefit? And, um, and you have so, to you know, exhibit that with others as well. I think I've had this, I've had this happen to me, you know, in, in my day job. Um, and I would imagine that others, you know, listen to or watching this podcast have maybe had it as well, where, um, you know, I come in as employee number one in XR in, in a global, you know, multi-billion dollar manufacturing company. And they're, they're early on, there were toes that I stubbed or, you know, failures that I had. And it wasn't just, and maybe some, some again, some of our listeners are, have experienced this. It wasn't just, okay, well, all right, that didn't work. Pick yourself back up. It was, okay, that doesn't work. And get out of here, right? That, that, that doesn't work at all. And it's never going to work. And why are we even trying this crap in our company? And why did they hire you? You know, I got, you know, just stepped on with the, you know, don't even bother getting back up because, you know, this is, this is BS and, and it's not ready for enterprise. And so I I would encourage new practitioners, right? That you've got to, if you approach it, maybe like you're saying, Brian, if you approach it with this, this co-discovery process with some humility, right? right? When when the toes are stubbed or when you get knocked down, um, you've got an ally, you've got a friend that you're working with, and they're not going to just put their foot on your neck. They're going to help you back up, and together you can go do the next iteration, right? I mean, you kind of, you know, the harder, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Just right. just don't go big in the first place and, and act like you're all that, right? Well, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I was as you were talking, Scott. That rings very uh well it, it hits home yeah. for me because I, I think uh i think actually what we've been talking about which is you know understand your end user and what the actual problem is yeah. like that's critical for your first one i think because what happens is if you can get that really right you know the first time and the only way that i know how to get it really right the first time is to do you know what we've been talking about yeah. if you can get that really right the first time then that buys you leeway to be able to, you know, try things that are maybe not as, you know, not as rigid or doesn't have as high of an ROI or, yeah. you know, whatever, because you've demonstrated, you know, Hey, we can generate value from this thing. You know, we just have to, you know, we, we've picked the low hanging fruit and now we're, we're searching the tree kind of thing. And so yeah. I think, I think that's maybe something to keep in mind too, is I would, you know, I, anybody that I talk to about this stuff is, 
like go small to start with to yes. find one person who get a win. Yep. We exactly. call it go ugly early and often. Yeah. <laughs> ugly early and often. Yep. And, and you know, and you build on successes on success. Sound like your this is your dating strategy. What is it? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> we're gonna Um, lose our pg rating on this podcast (laughs) no but um so so i think i think a lot of it is we don't manage the expectations we don't set them appropriately when we start and and we allow that to get out of control and i think that's really an important feature of this everything's a grand experiment let's talk about managing expectations because i think that's something that a lot of people struggle with Mm -hmm. you know we we have uh you know, YouTube videos to contend with on, you know, I don't know if you've seen the the AR video, the guy on the bus and there's like information everywhere and like yeah. it's giving them directions and, Overload, content yeah. and yeah. whatever. Appreciate and, that dude. Yeah. And so, so somebody, whoever put that together, like, I think it's a great crystallized idea of what the future looks like. Arguably I wouldn't want that future. Right. Well, It's dystopian. That's the point, right? Yeah. Well, goes yeah. But, but I mean, my, my, I guess my point in saying that is, uh, you know, people, when you go and look up augmented reality on YouTube, that's what you see. Right. And so I think managing expectations to both kind of management and the end user is a, is a really difficult thing for people in the space, maybe more difficult than, you know, in other technology spaces, because like you said, the, the technology is so human. And so when people see that, it's really easy to get amped up and go, Oh my God, you know, it'd be great if I could get directions, you know, on my next road trip, you know, in a headset or, you know, uh, X, Y, Z. And then you go and put them in a headset for the first time. And they're like, Oh man, you mean like we got to connect this to the internet and this is you know hard to do. And it's like, well, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the way it goes. Right. So new, new users are a lot like little kids. You know, if, if you talk to a six-year-old, hey, would you like to have cotton candy for lunch? Well, of course, man, cotton candy is awesome. I love cotton candy, you know, but, you know, it's going to give you a stomach ache. And so that to me, again, again, back to that protector, you know, from and purveyor of it's, it, that's kind of the role we have to play. We, we have to do this kind of a Socratic method thing yeah. and help them to kind of not talking down to people, but understand, you know, what, what they're really trying to do. Cause they don't know, they, they think they know they have, you know, they, they have a, a, a want list, a Christmas list, but they don't really know for sure. And it's untested. And so we need to walk them through that kind of testing type of a, a approach. The other thing that I, that I love about the lean stuff, and I'm such a big fan of it, especially like VSMs, one of the most powerful tools I would argue ever in terms of business process improvement. And the reason why is because you go in, first of all, you close your one mouth, like grandma said, you close your one mouth and you open your two eyes and your two ears and you drink in what's going on. You actually do a gimbal walk which means go to where the work is and mm-hmm. you observe and you take in the environment and right. the relationships and how are people behaving and what's going on. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a really powerful thing. And if I do a good job of mapping out what the as is process is, sometimes it doesn't exist. And then you go to like a three P or Kaikaku type approach where it's greenfield and you use a different set of tools to develop the process from scratch. But if you're improving an existing process, you document it really well. And then when you go through and you work out uh, through a process of, each of the steps. So in lean, when you're, when you're evaluating your, your current, it's called your current state map, right? Mm -hmm. You go through and you evaluate each step and you say, is it done right the first time every time? Is it something my customer would willingly pay for find value in? And does it transform the form fitter function of the last thing that happened? And if it doesn't satisfy all three, it can't be value added. Now it could be value, non-value, but necessary. Um, All the non-value we want to get rid of immediately. 
sometimes there's some non-value but necessary. And usually what that is is a setup step for the next value add step. Mm-hmm. What I do with those is I integrate them into the value add step. So it's a little, I chunk it a little bit bigger, right? So once I wire, I call it wire brushing. Once I wire brush the process, the really beautiful thing is this new future state map. When you take that and compare it to your, your, your current state, the delta between those is called your return on investment. And so if you, if again, here's another benefit of going after the process first is if you do that correctly, you have actually math, you have hard uh, figures in terms of days, dollars, headcount, all these expenses, what it's going to cost. And you can say, does it make sense to pursue this? Right. So Mm -hmm. you you can test your assumptions ahead of time without spending a nickel. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is prototyping stuff with paper and that type of stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, um, low fidelity prototypes are one of the the best um, weapons for, um, for really doing a good job on, on, you know, implementing technology in my opinion but dan i think to what you said i think you're you're right brian but dan you touched on this right we've got to manage expectations because my customers a lot of times they've seen iron man movies and they think (laughs) that that's what i'm going to give them in a paper factory in you know spokane washington we got to manage those expectations because they don't need all that and they couldn't use it if we gave it to them right but i also focus a little bit on the numbers, right? And the metrics. And it's like, well, what if we could reduce repair time by 5%? 5%, that's nothing, you know? Yeah, but 5% over how many repairs you do on this machine yes. in a month and a year yes. and what's the burden rate? Now it starts to look, and it's like, let's let's manage expectations that we're not going to re- remove the need for downtime on a machine or, you know, repairs are never gonna be needed. But let's set some realistic expectations and manage those around how XR and the related technologies can have an impact on those metrics, right? Because they know the numbers and they also know if they're smart, they know that impacting uh, mean time between failure by a small percentage amplified, you know, over the course of a month or a year means a lot of savings. So one of the folks that people really, or one of the things that people don't really understand well, especially relative to aerospace or medical and, and probably the industry that you're in as well. In our private lives, you know, a lot of times we we internalize things and we relate them to kind of how in our private lives, how they are. Like, so, you know, it medical is a lot like aerospace in that it's highly regulated. It's very expensive. Yeah. Um, lives are lost if you make a, a mistake. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, they're very similar. Um, one of the things that, that's really um, kind of powerful to think about that is, is that in our private lives, if we make a mistake, we have to re- we do it again. So it costs me twice. I did it. I, do, I redo it. You know, no problem. In aerospace, it's at least a five factor increase. And that, that's at barest of minimums. And here's how I did it. I have to undo it. I have to redo it. Each of those has to be documented. I have impacts to labor, schedule, materials, like it, it spirals out of control. So if we're honest, on average, it's probably about a tenfold increase in terms of the cost of poor quality. So go hard after the after the process. That's what brings the till, what's what actually pays us and make sure. And that, that's that part I just talked about the litmus d- done right the first time every time. Right. So if you can understand that and what that costs you, then like you're saying, there, it's also a death of a thousand cuts. Like, yeah, so maybe it's only 5%, but it's 5% times a thousand times a day, right? That's more than 5% when you start adding up all those, all those 5% of, of a process, for example. Um, so the, I think those are things that we, a lot of times we don't really think about what's the total cost of ownership or the total cost of this opportunity. We don't really put 
all the math together and, and give that adequately. Yeah. And that's where a lot of times I think we, we make mistakes and, and, and we let opinions creep in there too. We don't, we, you know, in God, we trust others bring data. And so I think it's really, really important that we do the math and think about that stuff. Well, and, and to your point too, like a 5% gain here also can cascade to a hundred percent gain further down the line in the, in the process. If oh, you know, yes. X, Y, Z. So like that's, that's a part of, of what we're talking about here too, as far as you know, understand the customer, like, and I don't want to get too redundant on the, on this discussion, but like, if you do that right, then it's not, you're not looking at 5% in the increment. You're looking at, you know, a much larger gain in the chain. And I think if you, the earlier you get in that work process too, the better it is because mm -hmm. you can cascade that over many different steps in the process. Well, and you, you bring a really good point, Dane, and that's that um, 5% at, at the beginning of a process versus 5% at the end is not the same at all. Mm -hmm. That's right. And so there, there's a very a big power that people really, they ignore they don't really understand it that the earlier in the process you can you can correct things it's a snowball going down a hill and so the later in the process it, it compounds itself and it's an exponential curve so oh, it's better to start saving for retirement at 22 than it is to start <laughs> saving for retirement at 64 that's exactly right, right. that's what yeah. i tell my kids yeah, yeah. it's the yeah. same thing yes mm -hmm. it compounds it really does yeah. it's, it's yeah. interesting yeah yeah a lot of opportunity, right? The, the ROI is there. I mean, the value is there. I, I think we just need to, to not get out over the tip of our skis and, and start bringing <laughs> out shiny, shiny toys into meetings. Start with the why, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, I think too, so I, I have, I have, there's the only challenge that I have is that if, if you don't ever try something new, right, you don't ever buy, yeah. a, you know, a new headset, you know, that you, even if you don't necessarily have a plan for, or, you know, you know, try it at a conference. That's one of the benefits I will say about conferences is you can kind of, at a very low cost, you know, get, get that first yeah. experience <clears throat> and really understand. <clears throat> but I, I also don't want to like squash the, <clears throat> the need that to, to try things, you know, first, because, you know, to yeah. me, I, I think about trying things as like, you know, these are tools in the toolbox. And so in, <clears throat> when you go and you actually you know, get to the end with your customer and they say this, you know, you figure out what the real need is. If your purview into, you know, what the solution could be is so narrow because you've never tried anything new. Well then, you know, you're going to get a subpar solution because there's likely a, a bigger market. So if I, if I was going to be devil's advocate in this <laughs> discussion, I would, I would say, you know, I, I think, well, so I, I think maybe the middle ground is that you buy one, <laughs> And you have yeah. you know, one team that tries it and one team that understands where that fits in their toolbox. And then when they go to talk to you know, people, you, know, you can scale to additional devices or right. whatever it is. But um, you know, oftentimes we, I mean, we see all kinds of companies that it's like, you know, jumped in and went from zero to, you know, 500. 500 headsets yeah. or whatever in, in one go. And it's like, right. number one, I'm sorry to whoever's going to manage their prices within your business. But, you know, number two, you know, you're, you're much better focused on one application driving that to value than you will be trying to manage, you know, 500 different applications. Um, even if they're higher value applications, likely right. you're not going to achieve the full value because you're going to have to, you know, split your attention between all these different things. But I think we can agree. You don't walk out to a new factory, step into the conference room with a bunch of stakeholders, 
lay out 15 devices and go, all right, which one looks the coolest? Let's use it. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. the opposite of that, right? Yeah. yeah. Brian's head just exploded. Yeah. That's a, that's a fool's <laughs> errand. You don't want to do that. You, to be, you should you have know. told me that four years ago, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all probably made that mistake, you know, early on. But um, yeah, I think that's a really good point, though, Scott, that you bring is that, you know, um, it should be when we're as technologists, uh, we need to kind of be the smartest person in the room relative to the technology that we're bringing and ideally on, on the process as well so that we can speak and you know, we can act as that bridge but over kind of troubled waters between the technology and the business need and, and then end user wants. And I think I think we need to be the smartest person in the room from a technology perspective. But I, I, I don't think that you're ever going to, I've never been the smartest person in the room from a, like a process perspective. Or no, well, anything no, no. Like no, 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 well, because it's not, in fact, that then that's why the humility and stuff, right? Yeah. That's yeah. way to get dumb. Like your <laughs> dad <laughs> says, right? It's like, say, like your friend Brian says. I thought, right? I thought Scott was going to say, get dumb like Dane. And I was like, dumb like Dane. I was going to say like dumb that. like Brian, but, but like Brian said, yeah. 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 Dumb like Dane sounds like the next X heart work. Come on, man. But uh, no, I, I don't. I don't want to cut off this, you know, this conversation either, because it's. I think this is really valuable. Um, but I do want to be cognizant of of time and. Let's do it every six months. Yeah, yeah, sounds okay. good. We'll have you on. And and one thing I, I did also want to to call out, you know, at the end of the podcast is uh, this is actually the year mark for X artwork, so um, it's very exciting for us. We. Uh, we appreciate our community and the engagement that you guys have with us. Uh, we've had a lot of fun over the last year or so uh, getting to meet you guys in person as well as interacting with you, you know, digitally on LinkedIn and, and other places. Um, so, you know, continue to, to comment, you know, let us know what you are, uh, what you're experiencing. Let us know what you're looking for as far as guidance. And we'll try and do our best to, to find people in the community that can, you know, both we can connect with you, you know, personally, and then also, you know, do things like this where we're, you know, interacting directly um, on the podcast. But we have a couple announcements too. Uh, we've gotten the Spotify, uh, you know, XR artwork uh, account set up. So if you guys right. prefer Spotify to YouTube, yeah. if you're running like Scott and uh, we don't have a book to sell you, but you know, we, uh, yeah. we might have a shirt or something. <laughs> and uh you know, so so the the Spotify is open. We're looking at other options as well, um, and then you know we're looking into being able to do more in person events um, as well as swag and some other things. So um, you know, if uh, if you got a lot of value out of this, if you're not already subscribed, uh, please go to YouTube and subscribe to us. Um, but other than that, again, uh, wholeheartedly, you know, we really appreciate you guys. This has been a, a heck of a year, and uh, we look forward to having more conversations with Brian. Absolutely. Brian, thank you again for being on today, buddy. It's an honor. I appreciate it. You guys are safe awesome. travels. You're one of you're one of the good guys I've met this year through through the podcast and through my relationship with with, with uh, Dane. And uh, and I, I'm, I'm grateful for, for both you guys, well, especially you, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you guys. Take care. Thank you.